לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Shalom and welcome to another edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malamed in Highland Park, New Jersey at the Highland Park Conservative Temple Congregation on Jamet. And joining me as always, my good friends, Rabbi Barry Chesler, Solomon Schechter, Day School, Long Island, and Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky, Anshay Chesed, New York City. We are starting a new book. We are still, but before that, first, Mazel Tov, my daughter, my aunt. graduating from Columbia University, Mazel Tov, Masters in Occupational Therapy graduation is this week. Mazalto. No other news to announce yet, but we are waiting imminently for, for other news from the land of Israel. Let us see if the population of the Jewish people expands by one, which actually is a very good segue. Wait, who would that be? Who would that be? We no, So so Let's before we we get into population matters and the census that's in Bamidbar. Can we just take a, a second to unpack the first verse? Because as usual, the Torah conveys to us so much information with so few words. By the Beradonai Moshe. Okay, so we could spend a lot of time talking about God speaking to Moses. Bemidbar Sinai. Okay. This is location, in the tent, on the first day of the second month, on the second year, uh, since they're leaving. So I'm going to say, here, let's do this, the, the sermon stand down, okay? What's your best shot on that first verse in terms of, you know, what is what what's information what information is compressed there for you when you think about the 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 place and the time what where does it take your mind okay I'll start with you Barry Chester where where do you go with that um so the first thing that strikes me is that we spend a, a lot of time talking about midbar Sinai when most of us, talk about Har Sinai, the mountain of Sinai, rather than the wilderness of Sinai. And especially as rabbinic Jews, for us, the the key geographical site is Mount Sinai. And the book doesn't quite locate us at the mountain, although Moses, God is speaking to Moses throughout the book, but at somewhere in the wilderness, in a, an unsettled state, as it were. So we're about to leave. Um, the book of Numbers is a journey, which will take us to the entrance of the land of Israel. And, um, you know, journeys are fraught with both danger and excitement. And by locating us in a terrain which suggests a kind of a lack of stability, shall we say, 
I think that uh, it prepares us for what's going to happen because this is uh, this is a rocky book. This is a rocky book in terms of the events, not just the the land that they travel through, but the events are going to rock the nation to its core. So what you're saying then is that the the introductory verse it really sets a tone, tone a geographical tone that is that is about um, wilderness. Yeah, Jeremy, your best shot. Uh, if I cannot however, make the joke that it's an Iraqi book. It doesn't take place in Iraq at all. They never go to Iraq. They stay here inside. I don't know. But uh, my, I, first of all, that was lovely. I would also, you know, sometimes when we read the Torah, like certain details, certain especially chronological details, sort of, at least for me, kind of go in one ear and out the other. So it happens such, such a day, such such a month. I, I, when I'm reading it to myself, I won't even pay attention. Uh, here, here's when it happened. Well, actually, this happened. Yeah. On the the um, what's what's our month again? Here, give it to me again. The Echad Lachodesh Hasheni, the first day of the second month, the second year after they've left Egypt. So this means we're at the beginning of the second year. We are exactly one month from the erection of the Mishkan, the, the Tabernacle. Back in Shmot, it tells us, "Bayom Lachodesh Harishon Beechad Lachodesh," the first. The first day is when they built the Mishkan. All that happens at the end of Shemot. Then they stay at Mount Sinai for as long as they stay at Mount Sinai and throughout the book of, 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 uh, of Leviticus. Or is this one year after that? Maybe it's one year after that. But the coincidence, it's either one month or one year and one month after they've created the, uh, the Mishkan. So the compressedness of this is quite intense. So Let I me would just have one other thought, though, based on something that Jeremy said. So I, I think that the Mishkan really is important here because the Mishkan represents Mount Sinai itself. Yeah. And so Mount Sinai has moved from the mountain, as it were, to the center of the Israelite people, where it will travel with them. So here, I want to go really homiletical here and say, you know, the, these are great. I mean, the the, the data here is fascinating in terms of locating us in time and space, right? We have a date stamp, right? And there, that puts us into reflection as to what, what's gone on the previous year. And we could we can enumerate all the, the the great and also terrifying events that happened in the previous 13 months here for, for Israel. And we have a, a geography stamp. And and I think about this metaphorically. You know, I, I'm part of what we do, obviously, is we, we talk to people in in crises in their lives, and people move in and out of, of different zones or regions. And I, I've had opportunity to, to talk to people who are facing some real real challenges, medical challenges, life challenges, etc. I often say, you know, you're, you're in a new territory. You're now in a new territory. You're now in a new continent. You know, uh, a person with a severe illness is, is now in a new, a new frame of reference. The, the, the people now are in a in a different frame of reference. Look here, you know we, we we've just experienced something quite um, you know sporadic, but also traumatic in Israel over the last week. You know, over a thousand thirteen hundred rockets fired. Okay, so it's you know same old, same old, but it's not the same old for the people in Steyrod. There's there seems to be the passage through one territory to another, metaphorically speaking, that you go from zone to zone. And so the people, you know, we, we've had that terminus 
in in uh, at the end of the book of Ayikra, which is they they've they've stayed they've been stationary for some time. Now you get the 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 great sense of movement, and the movement is going to in in in, in, in it's going to bring new information to them, new new vistas, new geography, new zones, maybe even a new language, maybe even a new new discoveries. Right? How do you live as you move? Through the desert, and and I think that that you know there's a reality here in the biblical imagination, and there's also a metaphor here, which is life. Life goes through different territories, and life you move through different you know continents, as it were, um, and 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 you get new language, and and I think that that we're we're encountering some of that. So part of the language that we're going to encounter is let's say right at the beginning, it's the necessity to to count. Um, and before we get to the census, you know, the the reading of these names. Uh, so the the um, these are the the names of the men who shall assist you, and it's a song. I can't I can't avoid thinking that there's music here. Le, you know, Leruvain Elitzur Ben Shteur Lishimon Shelumiel. So they're chanted in a similar way. Who knows if that's how it was originally thing? But but the the names have a poetry to them, and the names encode a lot of meaning because they're they're compound names. Elitzur ben Shideur, Shilumiel ben Suri Shaddai. Most of those names are made up of of two elements. Um, and uh, Jacob Milgram in his comment says that th- this is old. So, what do you what do you make of of this? Is you know, are you getting the poetry here, or am I just being too I no, I think the, you make an important point, and uh, of all the names, there are very few that we ever hear from again. Yeah, Gamliel, which doesn't quite sound Hebrew to my ear, is the name that makes it into the rabbinic canon. There are Rabban Gamliels in the Mishnah and the Talmud. Well, Gamliel and, would, would would mean what? It means indeed, indeed, I have God. Gam Liel, but Gamal Oti. Gamal, God has repaid me, I think. God, is, like that. God, God, is, God is my reward, maybe uh, something like that. Oh, Gam Liel, Gamal. Well, yeah, okay, that goes. God is my the, one, one of the good names is um, Eliasaf ben Deuel, and elsewhere is Eliasaf ben Reuel, the Dalit and the Reish. Nice. That, so, so could it's the same name, um, which either means Deuel. Uh, you should know God, or Reuel, you should be God's friend. The funny name is Pagiel ben Ochran, which would, I think just simple meaning of the words would mean something like, uh, God attacked me, son of troublemaker. No, no. Pagiel, Lifkoa, is also to... To appeal to... To, 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 appeal to have a divine encounter. It, it could... It could Where you're be. injured. What's the Ochran? Ochran. He was... He was he's, not. He's not a troublemaker. Uh, or <laughs> wasn't Jewish. Okay. Achira, Achira, Achira is another one. That's the, that's a great name. You can imagine the mother looking at her newborn son and saying, "Achira, you know this boy is bad." My my favorite name in the whole Tanakh is Chatzar Mavet. Back in the in the Noach Noach genealogies. Somebody's name is Chatzar Mavet, the courtyard of death. So when I was in Israel over 50 years ago now, 
There was a kid on the kibbutz whose name was Goonie, which doesn't quite sound right to the American ear, but he assured me it was the name of the a tribal chieftain from Naftali. It mentioned, I think, maybe in the uh, in the spy story. I can't remember. I think, yeah. So yeah. one of the comments that Milgram makes is that these are really old. There's a, there's a very, very ancient strata of names because the Yudhe, the the is it the theonymic, the theophoric element? Theophoric. Of, the theophoric element is not in the names like Netanyahu or Binayahu. Yahu is is the theophoric name. So, so it's if a you chocolate put, dream. Exactly. You put these names under a magnifying glass, and you see uh, uh, the biblical scholars Milgram, you know, citing here. He, they they see some some very very deep antiquity. It's almost like doing archaeology on the text. And so, so I don't know why it's ancient. I don't know why it would be, it'd be earlier or late, but it clearly is the the Yudhe people versus the the Olive Lamed people. Like who who I, if I'm not mistaken, I think Yocheved actually is the first Yudhe theophoric name. Interesting. Um you no. know I say one thing about you know the 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 rocky character of the book, which which is obviously correct. Of the I mean it's, it's definitely Bamidbar is definitely one of the five best books of the Humash, but it's it's to me it doesn't really have the power of, of it to me it's my least favorite thing you know it's the, it's a least favorite of these books everything is hard everything is trouble they're going through the midbar for all the reasons that you alluded to and I just want to make a little bit of a cross lingual pun here and say um, that we have a book called Shmot and we have a book called Numbers. We have we have in 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 Hebrew we call Exodus Shmot because it begins with names, and to me that sort of works as a something sweet to say you know when when the tribes go down to Egypt and and we enumerate each one we say everybody's name, and this one we do say these names of the tribal chieftains but it's it's almost like the English the English or Latinate title of the book of Numbers. It begins with these censuses, and you don't see the in the experience or the value, the importance of each individual person, which is kind of what I want to have a, a community. It's almost like the individuality is absorbed into the this yeah. this vast collective of hundreds of thousands of people. And it, it's maybe the anonymity is part of what leaves me with a little bit of a you know alienated feeling from this book. So I, I want to put put out an idea, which is that. We have data here. There's data here. Of course, what you're saying is like the book of Shmod names has numbers in it, and the book of Numbers has names in it. There's a certain paradox, and so there's data here in terms of in terms of you know listing everybody. But we're, we we get into all this data of of the the tribal populations, and you know I I wonder you know given the fact that that the instrumentality of recording data is not was not what it is today, of course, we 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 represent data with all sorts of visual tools and graphs, and of course, with technology, we are able to manipulate data. You know, in the absence of of that kind of instrumentality, what the only thing that you have is oral culture, and you have text culture, and so you know, it's a theme that we re we've returned to many many times. But there's music here, and that this the the this text may have been encoded in a kind of song that is to say we are re recalling a, 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 an early state of our history through this information 
and and we we have a kind of romantic idea and what we what we're getting here it, for lack of a better term is a snapshot the same way for example that every census represents a snapshot that that is only relative to what the next census uh is and what the previous census was i so, give you my example just you know is is that we we synagogue rabbi people we are very sensitive to membership number the membership census how many people purchase tickets you know in 5783 for high holidays versus 5782 and that differential indicates either growth or shrinkage and and that that piece of data all of a sudden conveys a, a valence to a plus or minus and also an emotion to it but go ahead so what what i would say is that the data here also is an attempt to reclaim a story so one of the things that happens, especially I think when we study history, is we forget all the ferment that goes into day-to-day -day life. And we tend to see the end result and think that decisions were made and things happened and then other things happened and everything moves on a line. And that's not the way it works. So what struck me listening to you talk about the names is that these are the old names because that way of doing things is over. And the book alerts us to that because we know, having read it more than once, that this is a, a way of life that's dying out. Those old names are not going to, we're not going to see them again, because that way of doing things, and what we're going to end up with is a new relationship with God. And one way we could look at the book of Numbers or any book of the Torah is as a journey to discover God in transition, not at a moment like the snapshot but more like an album well you'll see differences in names when we get to the names of the spies in a few a few weeks from now they're they're markedly different in terms of you know what they sound like and what they look like you know and 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 what you're saying then is that so it's a great theme you know i love this theme that that you know you have to you have to do a little bit of digging in order to figure out what the story is so you're saying the story is a story of generational transition which uh I think that's one of the overarching themes. It's going to emerge as one of the overarching themes of Bamidbar, because here at this point, you know, there's there hasn't been a crisis yet that's going to keep that. We don't we we are reading this and we're saying yes, we're it's eleven day journey. It's it's what a two week journey, three week journey, maybe at most. You know, the mana the mana is feeding us. There will be plenty of water and 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 it's this before the spies, before the you know all the all the terrible debacles that happen. And everything is going to be crushed. This is this this journey that was supposed to be a few weeks is going to last forty years now. We don't know this now. Spoiler alert! Yes, <laughs> I don't know, Jerry. You want to pick up on on any of the any or or any of this? No, I'm good. You're good. You're good. So so so, uh, what we have then then we have the 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 organization of the population in a camp okay and the camp is is going to be again you know we we map out the camp uh in diagrams there's there's four different sectors to it four different tribal units the tribal unit of uh the uh judah and the tribal unit of ruven and the tribal unit of ephraim and the tribal unit of don judah is in the east and Reuven is on the south, and Ephraim is 
on the west and dawn is in the north and um you know there's a group the groupings the tribal groupings are are, are like that i mentioned jerry before you came out barry and i were talking about this so uh at, uh, around uh, Sukkot, I was I was studying these texts and and um, I was thinking about the Na'anu'im. I want to get your reaction to this, okay? So when you when you when you shake your lulav to the north, well, how do you you shake it east, east, south, southwest, north, up and north, down. up down? So among all of the different symbolisms that you can have, I came up with this one. Okay, that's good. Is we're constructing in our imagination the encampment of the Israelites, and so that we are a mishkan, and that we have around us the sense of peoplehood, and so that I mean it's very it's very narcissistic and egocentric, but you know what what else would you what else would you expect? But it's the idea that that I can create in my imagination a personal sense of movement through my the choreography of my waving. And that captures my own imagination, that since there is a sense of, at Sukkot, the, the recollection of movement in the desert through the structure of the Sukkah, the standing with the lulav, in addition to all of its other meanings, namely water and God and divine presence, there's a sense of peoplehood. Call Yisrael. I love it. Give me a mark on that. That's a, that's an A. <laughs> now, isn't it the case, I'm trying to remember, is this in rabbinics or is this in the Torah itself, that there has to be a defined distance that each tri tri tribe and each tribal each of the four tribal camps has a has a, a prescribed distance from the Mishkan itself. Um, I think you're right. I think I think uh, really there might be in rabbinics, uh, um, as opposed to in the Torah itself. But uh, I think it's interesting um, that I mean this is this is simply one of the Bible's features. Is that um, you can't get too close? You know, Hazaha Karev Yumat, the non Kohen is put to death if they, if they come in the wrong area. And there's something, um, if, if perhaps we're, you know, Nadav and Avihu are mentioned in the Parsha because Aaron's own genealogy is given. And uh, and they mention the fact that Nadav and Avihu were the older two children and they died. Um, there's a quality uh, like that story has left its fingerprints on this okay. arrangement, and there's a kind of alienation. And it's interesting also because the haftarah, which is, is it's controversial haftarah, because it's it's to say the very least, uh, th there's the raging the raging prophet, the raging prophet who is the standard for raging God, is is violently angry towards his unfaithful wife, as God is violently angry towards unfaithful Israel. There's a lot of imagery. That strikes one, strikes a modern reader as as being like you know a kind of abusive husband thing, but one of the interesting features of that haftarah and Hosea is that it's primarily an erotic metaphor, right? That that God and Israel are like a married couple, and the passion and the intensity and the expectations of loyalty that's like human eros and love, 
And to me, it's really interesting that like the, the uh, geographical don't get too close quality to the to the array in the Torah is very counter to the I want you to be super duper close um, in the Haftarah. Yeah, but the, the you know the sanctuary is a dangerous place. The, that's why the Nadav and Avihu reference is interesting. Exactly, and and therein lies the great paradox of of the spiritual life. It's it's we're attracted to it, but it can be dangerous. You know, you can go off the deep end. You can you can be damaged by it, and and um, that God is this you know appears in the as the burning bush. You know, it's it's completely irrational. But contained also, it's fire and powerful, but it's and and it will it will destroy you, but it's contained. And Moses, you know, is the one that has that that vision, right? Because religion is not supposed to be safe; it's supposed to give you a way to live with danger. So, so expand on uh, that. This is, this well, is a, the, the Rashi is the Rashi is the thing that's. We are losing you. Boom. I'm back in. I wasn't, I wasn't gone very long. The Rashi. Uh, the, the Rashi to chapter 2, verse verse 2. Yachanu mineged saviv yachanu. And Rashi is quoting the Midrash from somewhere here. But uh, Midbar Rabbah. And it says, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's Alpayim Amma. It's 2,000 cubits. And from that, you get the idea that you get the we get the idea of the um hashabbat that you're not allowed to walk outside the camp more than 2000 you're not allowed to walk outside the edge of your city on shabbat more than 2000 cubits that uh, idea comes from this spot where's uh, the tomb of shabbat i think it also is mentioned with the levitical cities later in the book levitical cities have a, a 2000 cubit uh, what's that word green's word or something like that, like a green green belt around the city. This one says that that they were two thousand cubits, exactly two thousand cubits, so that that on Shabbos they could uh, still go to, go to the Ohel Moed, but they had to live at a kind of a reasonable distance. I mean, so when you think about you know, you were saying before about the what's realistic, what's what's you know not realistic, what's what parts of this resonate? Okay, you got you got hundreds of thousands of people at the center, which is the thing is the Mishkan. And by the way, the hundreds of thousands of people are spreading out like a couple of kilometers away. It's a very dense um, uh, population. Uh, it's know. like New Jersey. It's like New Jersey. Exactly. Or New York City. Or the Upper yeah. West Side. Okay. No, it's not like the Upper West Side. No? Okay. So, so... Um, we're, we're we're nearing the end of our of our conversation. I just wanted to cue you on that, but uh, just want to go to the end and, and talk, for example, about the the role of firstborn, the role of the Levites, the replacement of the Levites, you know, the substitution of the tribe of Levi for firstborn, and and how that plays itself out, and and perhaps you may want to talk about um, you the, don't have role, the roles that these people play. This is, my, this is my, one of my favorite things about the, I mean, I think this is a Bible story, a Bible motif that I find really gripping, which is uh, the Bible, of course, inherits a world in which firstborn, like just physical firstborns, their their concept must be something like the physical firstborns 
you know, just do get the, the best dosage. They're the, they're the strongest, the best looking, the best. And um, birth order is as decisive as, uh, well, what was Adler's first name? Arthur, Alfred, Al Abraham was something. The, the, the psychologist said, you know, birth order is everything. And the Bible does inherit that, and, and it has a primogeniture law, and, and it does care about the Bechor. But the Bible loves the story that the secondborn is actually better than the firstborn. The secondborn is more deserving. The younger turns out to have moral nobility, and the firstborn, despite all evident, you know, expectations, is not really up to the task. And so part of the way that's expressed is in this amazing story, we know, like, for example, from the Samuel story, which, you know, we was the Haftar on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, that that his mother dedicates him to the temple because he's the firstborn. And if you're like uh, just a general old, you know, Jew who knows something about, well, wait a second, that, that doesn't make him a Levite. That doesn't make him a Kohen. That story must make sense in a context where firstborns are the ones who work in temples. So in a way, she, she's also being archaic, you know, and, and she's hearkening back to a, a, prim, a, a, a previous era where the firstborn went to God, basically. So, so it may be, may be the case that, the, uh, that that story either really dates from the early time or is self-consciously uh, archaizing. Yes. Right? Once upon a time when the firstborns went to... But the Bible it, it has inherited that system and critiques it. And to me, it's like the Bible is saying, but you know, by, by telling so many stories about the secondborns who who actually do deserve to lead, um, the Bible may also be saying, may say, may be making a critique about the quote unquote, um, you know, natural hierarchy of things. The, if 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 you think that so and so is just the most important and the most qualified by dint of birth, you better think twice because the Levites who as a clan, at least in this, I mean, that can become, of course, its own hierarchy, but at least in this, the claim is that firstborns, they're going to disappoint you, but a clan that is devoted to serving God and leading the people and all, th th those are people you want to trust more. And so the firstborns get displaced. There's not quite the right number of Levites. They have to, I guess they have to, uh, in addition to, in addition to, uh, Levites taking the roles, the, the Levites have to pay more money to redeem the firstborns who are too many of them. Um, and, and so, and so a, a clan of teachers and servants and priests replaces the seeming natural hierarchy of the strongest, best looking, you know, apparent leaders. So I, I want to take a, a completely different tack at this, which is that having, having a system of firstborn you know, really um, subverts the family, right? If all your firstborn go to the temple, then then what what happens is your family structure gets damaged, uh, because as any of us, you know, with children would would readily understand, is that you know if your firstborn no longer has a, a certain a certain set of loyalties or, or obligations, responsibilities to the family, the whole family system really, you know, is injured by that. And I think the Torah being so family-centric, the, the the biblical 
view of the world is so rooted in the, the cohesion of family in the sense, not that any of the biblical families are that, you know, they, they're they all messed up in their own ways, but but at least the Torah wants to give them a chance at, at staying together. And that, and that the idyllic position, the idyllic view of the Torah is that your family should be intact and you keep your firstborn there and, and let let that Levite, let the Levites do that stuff. In the end, it's a failure. The Levites also don't, don't, you know, throughout biblical history, they don't amount to what they have been, you know, what 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 they have been idealized for. But at least it's an attempt here to create that class of people who who uh, to harness that zeal. That's right. right. And the Torah gives us more than one account for this because we have the story of the golden calf where the Levites come to Moses' side. And then we have also the idea that the firstborn belonged to God because of the tenth plague. Exactly. So they're conflict. I right. Guess. Or, well, that's it. Um, and and so the Levites have these these very specific roles, which uh, the the parsha ends with. Um, you know, they they take down the they're they're to pack up the the uh, the the different pieces of furniture, right? It says here, at the breaking of camp, Aaron and his son shall go in and take down the screening curtain and cover the ark of the pact with it. They shall lay a covering of dolphin skin over it and spread a cloth of pure blue on top, and they shall put out its poles. They're movers. They're just, you know. Movers. <laughs> the moving company. It's, 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 a, such a, it's such a gorgeous picture, you know. It's the pre-Israelite. Movie come, movie come. Movie come. Movie Take come. down the drapes, the cover the parocha, the cover the Aaron Kodesh with it, you know. You know, we have that relationship with our sacred objects, you know. When we take a Sefer Torah up, you know, we move a Sefer Torah, we, we never like to, to take it just without, we wrap it in a talus, we wrap it, you know. Part of that is for protection, part of that's respect, but I, maybe part of that is also hearkening back, echoing back to this. You don't move sacred objects without a certain sense of reverence for them. Cool. Well said. Well said. And that brings us to the end of our conversation here. We want to thank you for watching, for listening. We love your comments. And we really, really honor you for, for spending the time with us. I, we get these comments from people that, that tell us how much how much they enjoy watching us give us with each other and laugh with each other, which is great. That's what study is all about. So we want to say it's our early in the week, but Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. And see you all next week on the next edition of Archer Talk.